Welcome to the Weekly High with LSD podcast, the Leslie and Subu dialogue covering the most happening technology news that affect India. And now, please welcome your host, Leslie and Subu. So dear friends, uh, welcome to the Weekly High with LSD show. Uh, this week we have with us an IBM veteran, uh, Gargi P. Daskutta, who took charge of IBM research in India more than two years ago. As the director for IBM Research in India and CTO for IBM India and South Asia, she serves as a strategist for IBM Research, working closely with IBM's hybrid cloud business and global services businesses. Uh, prior to being director, she was a senior manager at IBM Research India, uh, leading the work in AI for automation. Among her uh, many accomplishments, she was recognized as an IBM distinguished uh, engineer for her exemplary technological achievements in 2019. Uh, so, uh, cutting to the chase, uh, Gargi, uh, you are the first woman to head IBM uh, research in India. How has the journey been so far, and uh, how do you define your leadership style, especially in these uh, trying times uh, when the COVID uh, pandemic has engulfed uh, the nation? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Of course, it was a big honor to lead IBM Research India uh, from all perspective. Uh, and I absolutely cherish the role that I had to play because I knew I had the best minds and channelizing them towards something that means value for IBM, for IBM's clients and for community. And of course, India South Asia in general was really what I strive to do. Um, so it's been a wonderful experience, of course, right after after a year in the role, I think we got struck with something that we'd not anticipated and there was no playbook, right? So to, to how to lead a team, how to keep your team safe. Yes, business productivity. So we had to invent and innovate. So it was researchers uh, mind put, put to task. Uh, it's been challenging. It's been, uh, I think we handled the first web well. Of course, a lot of panic, you know what's going around. But I'm still hopeful that United um, as IBMers, as a nation, you know, I see so many citizens self-regulating and helping the government. I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will come out of it. And technology as always has, has played a major role, right? Whether it being helping accelerate transformation that otherwise would have taken six to seven years, but accelerating clients saying that, I need to move to cloud. I need to move online. I need to go digital now. Uh, so, so I think technology has been uh, kind of keeping our lights on. Uh, we all switched to online mode of working, delivering value to our clients with the you know bat of an eyelid. So um, I'm I'm really passionate about that. Continue even in the second wave. I think we're continuing to see how technology can help supply demand, how technology can help citizens or IBMers. So, so I think that's that's been really the journey. Um, my leadership style is really to is uh, of course to be more hands on to understand a problem area before I delve in and I ask my you know troops to lead. My leadership style is also to always ask the question, how does it benefit my end customer, right? Yes, I, I created an algorithm that was 2x faster. What are the use cases? And then, of course, I think empathy is at the core of it. So that's how I'll describe myself. And this was traditionally, if I'm not mistaken, a male bastion. So uh, did it, uh, <laughs> I mean, we have been associating uh, mostly R&D kind of stuff with uh, things. Uh, yeah. 
yeah and i think the the problem is is not that you know there were many women out there and we they were not getting the right opportunity it was at the grassroots right right uh, even though india has decent numbers for women in stem the the leaky bucket you know after they join you know if they need to handle a two body problem if they need to do a phd like research is a little bit we, we do recommend PhDs, right? It's not mandatory, but you know, we, we need deep thinkers. Uh, the, the women population, the diversity population just dwindles, right? So, so it was very few people or at the candidate or who even expressed interest or put out their hands to be able to do this job. So I think that's, that's really the problem. But we have to fix it, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the challenges we have to, uh, Anita Borg is doing so much good work um and and we see every year the number of women in stem really attending uh, uh venues like race hopper doubling and tripling so i i know the gender gap report is depressing but i i think that at least we're making a dent yeah, I mean, I'll be coming to that question in a bit uh, yeah. again, just to explain, you know, how do you view things, but that in a bit. But before that, uh, I mean, you describe your uh, focus areas as uh, I'm quoting, uh, realizing the vision of uh, future of computing to the infusion of AI and blockchain into the enterprise ecosystem and helping IBM India lead with innovations in cloud computing. Yeah. So what's the progress that you have made in the last two years in these uh, uh, focus areas of yours? Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, that's basically, I think, the basis of what I've been trying to do. The the company is single-mindedly and under, uh, you know, initially under Ginny and then under now under Irvin's leadership is focused on two key things, right? Helping our clients transform their businesses, which is via hybrid cloud, right? Really enabling them to access the power of cloud. And then this cloud becomes a vehicle for everything that the company wants to do, which includes AI, right? Our prediction is every company becomes an AI company or has AI interspread, not in bits and pieces, but into their deep business processes, right? So in order to do that at scale and not do small POC, small demonstrations of AI, you need a stable vehicle. And that's our hybrid cloud platform. And that's exactly the mission. So at IBM Research India Labs, um, through the last couple of years, we've been spearheading innovations and um, technology in both these domains, right? One, in helping land the hybrid cloud journey with clients, but with also innovation, right? Which means you also intersperse AI as clients move to hybrid cloud, right? And what does that mean? That means I'm locked up in data centers. I have massive applications. Some of my developer teams must might have left. I don't have knowledge, but those are not optimized. Today, they might be accessing data from all remote locations. My data uh, is, uh, you know, fragmented. I need a good solution to move to more modern technologies, but I cannot afford business downtime, right? I cannot take down my entire retail store or my banking system to do this move. So how do you do it? in bits and pieces in an optimized way? How do you refactor code? How do you re-platform applications? And there's a very big role for AI in that. 
it also tells you the whole world, right? The whole consumer world is building language models, very large language models. You know, I don't know if you've heard of BERT, you know, yeah, yeah. GPT-3. All of this is taking the world by storm, right? And it should because there is enough data with these consumer companies and we should start building large language models. We've taken that notion and see, seen what does it mean to apply this to the language of code. Right, and I gave you the application. The application can be application modernization, but we need. We also released a huge data set, which is uh, called Project CodeNet. It contains about you know 14 million code samples, 500 million lines of code, and and why does releasing a data set mean so much? Because it enhances the community to start thinking about these problems. Just like I can use Bert and GPT to complete my sentence, right, or generate sentence. I could use CodeNet to really uh, create these language models for code and then use it for my application modernization. This is so, also being used, if I'm not mistaken, because I think I recently read about some MIT researchers had done something with NLP and using it to crack the uh, gene sequence because the language was very similar. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a partnership with we IBM has a strong partnership with MIT. So the CodeNet was data set was actually released in tandem with the MIT researchers. So IBM researchers along with the MIT team actually worked on this. Okay, lovely, lovely. Yeah, because that I thought was quite fascinating. And uh, uh, I, I so uh, I, I just wanted to understand. It is, how, yeah. so how is yeah. it being applied? Now? Are the, uh, is the community actually picking these uh, things up because? Yeah, so that's the hope, Leslie. I mean, it's it's there's no, nothing like this. There's enough, you know, uh, uh, Wikipedia uh, question answer data sets that research community picks up and then then it's distributed, right? Then you don't need to regulate it. So the hope is that with this project, we just launched it, that a lot of researchers get excited about these problems. I mean, we use it internally in a lot of our client engagements, right? Mm -hmm. But the hope is that we foster more, you know, we have students look at it, faculty look at it, other users look at it. So we'll see. I, I think I can answer that question maybe a couple of months from now. So our AI strategy overall is really pivoted on three things. It's natural language processing, NLP, automation, and trust. And again, this is not work done, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, it's been work that's been done over years, ever since, you know, we played Jeopardy, ever since we launched Debater, and it has culminated into uh, some significant accomplishments that where we got recognized by Gartner for our AI leadership, right? And, and break it down into two, two personas. One is having AI tools and technologies that help developers Right? How do I build model faster? How do I test model faster? And then machine learning platforms, right? In order to build a model, I need data pre-processing. I'll need to deploy. I'll need to continually monitor that. So, you know, we got, we actually moved up to the leadership uh, quadrant um, over a lot of hard work and all of this, and you can start it, you know, you, know, you can tag it to Jeopardy, then Debater and everything else that we've been doing. But right now, both for the set of personas of machine learning software engineers, as well as machine learning platform creators, I think we are in very good spot. And, and everything that you mentioned, right? What's in machine learning, what's an assistant are part of these services. And even the weather channel. 
Yes. So the Weather Channel platform and all the AI that we do is is part of our AI application story. Absolutely. So when you look at a country like India, especially, I mean, there's a lot of talk on AI, but of course, uh, 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 where do you think uh, India uh, figures in the whole AI ecosystem? Because yes, the ambition is clearly that India wants to become an AI superpower. Uh, but I, uh, my personal take on this is that it is more strong in the application space because it does not have semiconductors, it does not have many other things. But uh, there are a lot of initiatives that are in there. But it, in, from an IBM point of view, how do you look at uh, uh, India and uh, its uh, AI contribution and AI potential? A, a lot of traction, actually, especially in certain industries, but there's also been a good study that's been done on AI uptake in the last couple of years for India, right? I think we can send you a pointer that shows that almost 50% of, of the Indian companies absolutely think that, you know, AI and automation are going to be big game changers for them. No, that's so, fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, those are studies that... I'm very familiar with the strategy because we have written reams on that. But I'm saying, what is the sense that you're getting from an AI? Because uh, when we speak to companies, the sense that we get is it's basic machine learning. It's statistics to most of the time. It's not even uh, hardcore AI. Ah, okay. So you are actually asking the boundary question of where does statistical machine learning get into AI? So, so I want to say one thing, Leslie, and this is. Uh, not because I want to just broaden it for the perspective, but there is a roadmap to this entire landing with AI, right? right? There's an information architecture. And the information architecture really mandates that you get some basic things right, which is that you have your data, you know your data sources, you have your data, you don't need to move your data sources for your AI algorithms to work. You have trust embedded or you have a mechanism to infuse trust in the data sources and the models you're building. I think those are much important questions than really being pedantic about that. Am I using the latest and the greatest autoencoders and deep learning, or is it such simple, you know, SVM models that are working? I think I'm not distinguishing. When I say AI, it could be human assisted uh, supervised learning, it could be unsupervised learning, it could be statistical machine learning, or it could be, you know, moving more towards uh, deep learning or and reinforcement learning. So, so my, and that's, that's IBM's view, right? So we are broad on how we say AI is used. So basically um, you're saying that it's the problem that needs to be solved, the business problem that absolutely. needs to be solved. And it's then most, yeah, exactly. It's most important so, to solve the business problem and to solve it in a way, like I said, right? Data, uh, sometimes as data scientists might assume that there's a data lake and we just make a few calls and the data is there. That's not true, right? Data is fragmented, data is sparse, data might have, you know, uh, bias in it. And data might not be, there's so much of data generated might not be even movable, right? So there are a lot of hard problems, 80% of, of the time, um, either companies or even IBM data scientists are actually spent on creating this pipeline and working with data. So I would say, so let's solve the problem first, right? Let's, let's take, let's help humans do things via AI and automation better rather than getting too hung up on, you know, am I using the latest and the greatest deep learning? And, and we do that, right? In research, we 
we have always our eye on what's the next horizon of of these but but uh, our businesses might still be okay with you know simple regression based algorithms pattern matching something that works for them and then you deepen you can then deepen the technologies as you get more data yeah because businesses basically will also have to look at the return on investment absolutely i mean there's no point in putting the cart before the horse Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I fully subscribe to you. It's just that I just wanted to understand what is you know because people do get carried away by the hype. Like when they see AI, they look at Terminator, Skynet, and they get totally yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. But but back. also you know I think we've done a lot of good work by releasing uh, by continuously talking to our clients and and you know every customer today has a data science group, right? and taking them and understanding the pain points in their journey to really convincing them that let's solve the business problem right let's let's see what roi you get and not as a poc right let's have it integrated into your business process you know with all the hooks integrators with all the monitoring with all the compliance all in place and, and i think at that point we can go back and say hey if i'm collecting a million samples because of what I put in business process, I'm sure that I can move to a much more sophisticated algorithm. So that's how I see it. Typically large companies, I think uh, from your experience, I mean the medium sized companies and large companies would have implemented AI in some form or the other Absolutely. to solve their business problem. What about yeah. smaller companies? Because most smaller companies, when they uh, come to us, they ask us, you know, but you know, is, uh, can we afford AI tools? Can we? So what would be your kind of advice? Yeah, so for the smaller companies, I would say this is, you know, uh, no technology has been so much out in the open, right? And being pushed by the open community. For example, if you want to start with, you know, simple classification, class clustering, uh, recommendation tools, a, a lot of support out there in open source, a lot of support from IBM releasing open source. And so, so does Microsoft, Google, right? We all contribute back in the open. No technology has been so much adopted in the open, Leslie, as, as we see the trends with AI, right? So get started with that. Enterprise support comes is needed when for big enterprises, when you're dealing with customer data, when you're dealing with financial data, transactional data. But if you want to just get your feet wet, right, through the front door, then there's enough out there in open source. And, and open source doesn't mean that you, you get something that's not supported or not trusted, right? We've actually released our AI fairness toolkits, AI trust toolkits, all explainability toolkits, all out in the open. So you can get the end-to-end -end pipeline very easily ready by just using open source tools, right? So both for the machine learning, for the data pre-processing, for trust and explainability. And then you, you see what the solution looks like. At that point, you know, when you, then decide that how do I integrate it into my business process? There will be many questions on these open source tools. And that's when you start thinking that what do you need to protect and license and grow and monitor? And, and where, where do you want to spend the bucks? The smaller companies also, you know, tell us like in a sense, like, uh, you know, uh, if AI is all about data, we don't generate that kind of data. Uh, how, how do you react? I see. Can you give me a, an example of, of like, no, don't take a name, but which which industry is running a startup and, and not generate, 
even a smaller company. We don't have that kind of quantum of data. It's not that they did because for them, they say, okay, fine, AI is a factor of data. So they, they're not too sure mm -hmm. about it. They're saying, do we really generate enough uh, data that uh, it justifies uh, AI? Or can we do with simpler tools? That's all. So, I mean, I, I want to say that every company, whether they know it or not, is generating data, right? Even if I'm in the food service, let's say I'm, take, take a small, like no tech. Um, yeah, actually I was talking to my friend. So she runs a, she runs a gym, right? She, so she trains young kids uh, for, uh, for their fitness and also adults, right? She was telling me, so do you think, you would think it's completely in the physical world, right? Before today, it's, it's in, in a physical space that's called a gym. People come in, they use machines, uh, they have the right diet and the workout. Uh, she was telling me that since they've moved online, they've been collecting these requests, right? So they, they capture demographics, what kind of customers, what age, you know, what's my weight, what's my target? And you also have this wonderful image recognition tools that can take, you know, take pictures. And she's been applying AI to just that data. So that quantum of data is what? Maybe 10 customers in a week signs up, right? If you have a good business, it's a small one. But that's still, but each of those customers have multiple parameters and creating samples and subsamples of data that that can be used to normal machine learning algorithms for image recognition and to say, okay, you're not doing this right. This is not the right posture. Let's correct it. You know, you, you worked out here. So, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think. You can run for a small, medium, big business without data. The quantum of data is where the confusion is, right? Do I need a terabyte of data to train my machine learning? Absolutely not. Like I said, right, even with, uh, you know, a few low hundreds of samples, we can train logistic regression, SPM models, decision trees. Uh, the hope is that as you collect more data, you can get the machine learning algorithms to learn the features automatically. And, and that's, that's what we want. We don't want to do feature engineering uh, with small amounts of data. We remove the bottleneck of feature engineering as we get more data. And the quality of data also will matter, I guess. Oh, yeah, excellent. Because okay, actually, yeah. So, so there are two ways to understand automation, right? It's using AI for automation, which means I have a loan uh, lending process, right? I have a recommendation process. I have a hiring process. I have a procuring process. How do I infuse AI into all of these so that it stages where you know there is some data and i can use historical data to understand patterns and apply them really works so in infusing ai in automation of business processes we we again with going back to the same thing conference we launched something that was led by research uh, it's um, it's actually called watson orchestrate right and You'll, you'll see it's really an orchestrator, an AI-based orchestrator that understands what skills do I have you know, to do my job. Maybe to do my job, I need an integration with a ticketing system. I need an integration with a calendar system. When someone changes something, I need a notification, right? So there's a bouquet of skills. And I express in natural language that, hey, 
I want to really um, have you update me when this new sales opportunity comes, right? Let's say I'm a sales agent. Taking that, that whole utterance, parsing, what is the intent? And what skills do I have in my catalog to help, um, you know, Gargi, the sales agent, do her job better? And, and then, then that mapping goes and breaks it up into the skills I have in my catalog. Obviously, you understand that there needs to be some back-end catalog of skills. It puts them together in a reasonable form, and it looks like a seamless experience for me, right? So there's a really nice demo that, again, Anto can share. So what's in Orchestrate? So it's an AI-based planner. And it's really our leading with how you start infusing AI into all kinds of business processes. The other part in automation is automating AI itself, right? What does that mean? That means that AI models are not built in silos or are not going to be successful in silos. You have this whole data cycle, you have then the data science cycle, and then you have the entire life cycle. So what is the data cycle? The data cycle really means what data do I have? Where is the data? Where are the data lakes? Can I actually get them together? Can I move them? In most places for edge applications, I cannot move the data. So how do I get the data ready so that the data is consumable for the AI? It also includes tasks like removing biases, understanding if the data is appropriate for training, um, you know, uh, Understanding if the data is enough, has enough discriminative capability so that my downstream AI is going to be successful. Then there's the whole data science automation, which is that do I really need people to sit and do data engineering and feature engineering? Or can I have an optimization that really does all this automatically for me? So automating the process of data science. And then deployment, right? Great. I built on three months of data. I deployed it. COVID happened. All bets off, right? The entire workload, uh, workload changes, right? I now have a completely different demographics of people, requests. So who monitors and makes sure that the data and the model we've put out are in sync, whether it needs a retrain, whether it needs, you know, few tweaks in the model. So that whole life cycle automation is very important. And all of this can again be done with AI tools. So that's really our automation. So think of it in two buckets. Putting AI in business processes and automating business processes, which is all the examples that I gave you. And then, you know, the Watson Orchestrate is a great landing product. And then automating the process itself, which is from data automation, data science automation, lifecycle automation, even governance automation. Speaking about AI and automation, I think you have uh, raised a, a very important topic out here. Typically, in your, uh, uh, how, how do you perceive the impact of AI and automation on the workforce, uh, whether it comes in terms of reskilling, whether it comes in terms of redeployment, whether it comes in terms of just mere perceptions, and it also from the whole broader yeah. issue of the future of work? Yeah. Uh, very good question, Leslie. Yeah, so that's, I think that's a hard battle. I didn't call this out. Absolutely, right? It's often not about technology. It's often about people getting to know how to use their tools and then reskilling, reorienting their thinking, uh, the processes. And you're absolutely right, right? So we've, we've faced this in the early years, right? When we tried to kind of go uh, put AI models, let's say, in um, account payables process, right, for our clients. 
the the problem was not that the tool was the tool of course you know ai models you know start off at some some accuracy you have to give feedback it learns it was not about the accuracy it was about the shift in mindset and the business process that had to be reinvented so well we we've, we've actually done this work and even though this was really not outside the purview of research we've actually handheld many many clients to help understand that how their business processes also needs to be net new, right? If they are going to infuse AI. Now the skilling part is something that we can only, you know, raise flags and have them point to that you need the next generation of workforce to be, to be looking at this more differently, right? How do I use these tools and then put my, what I'm best at, which is decision-making and reasoning, right? Put those skills to use the most in the time that I save. And that's, I've, I've seen this in operations when we try to introduce AI based tool for uh, helping manage operations, they had to change a lot of their change management process, a lot of their incident management process with new age thinking. And I'm, I'm sure it's, it's like, I give you two examples, right? Account payables, uh, people actually looking at invoices, purchase orders and doing their things. Um, openness to accepting algorithms and openness to accepting tools. And then at some point re realizing that, hey, out of those 100 purchase orders that I have to compare, today I only have to compare two, which means I have a lot more time to optimize other things. So, so I, think, I think that's a much longer discussion for another day, but uh, skill, you can get tools to be effective uh, but not without people, right? So you absolutely have to get them involved very early on in the design process, you know, tell them that this is going to be useful, have them as part of your journey as you design the UI. So a, a, a completely a different topic, but very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And when you're talking about designing, I mean, I say uh, even till about three, four years back, I probably would not have asked this question to a CEO, yeah. but today I have to, uh, I, and sort of, you know, forced to uh, ask uh, you basically what is your sense on AI and ethics as far as, uh, in, you know, uh, uh, integrating that in the design process itself? Absolutely. No, uh, very good segue into what I was going to say. I mean, ethics has to be the underpinning of everything that we do build, uh, launch, and ask others to use. And, and all this tech that I talked about, like about, you know, building great NLP models, automating the data science life cycle. So you get it from, you know, weeks and months to a few days uh, and rapidly being able to deploy AI. All of this is wasteful, right? If you cannot, if you don't have ethics, if you don't have the underpinnings of trust, right? And that's, that's really important for us. And that's really our third pillar that um, ethics has to be woven, like you said, into the entire life cycle. It cannot be an afterthought after you build the model. Uh, so, you know, working with the business users, working with the users of the technology right from day one is important, but also giving them tools is important, right? One is, you know, in conversation, understanding the use cases, but there are also practical things that we can do. For example, we can measure how fair is your model and the data that is feeding into your model, 
you know, we can explain that why is the model making a recommendation of loans in this category and rejecting loans in this age category? What, what's going on, right? Like really opening up the black box. Um, is your model robust, right? Like for example, if if today you're making a recommendation for me to not not have a loan, tomorrow if I change one parameter, right, which is my my age or my life expectancy, are you going to completely change your decision? Because people don't don't like things that flip, right? They they really want robustness in the models. And if those models are going to do important things like loan recommendation, candidate recommendation for hiring, you know, um, uh, in the financial systems, we have uh, so much uh, so much government IDs that we collect and then we go through that and we actually suggest the right funds to invest in, right? So all of that needs to be, if I'm trusting tech to do all of that, all of that needs to be robust, right? And then transparency. So transparency is really putting all these three together in a label. So when I have to pick up an orange juice, I go to the store and I read out the nutrition label, right? It gives me a sense, uh, but it, it's a simplistic sense of how much calories am I consuming? Can I do the same with an AI model I decide to deploy in my system? Can I look it up and say, uh, okay, it looks like it has been trained on these data sets from these domains and its fairness factor was high for this demographics and it also does explainability so this is you know useful for me so i think uh, that that really builds more transparency so we call this you know like the nutrition label for ai can i now once i do all of that leslie you can ask that you know still they need to be you know tied together with governance because this is not a point yeah. in time statement right Exactly. Uh, I might have a fairness today that is high, but things change. I need to monitor. I need to alert something if something uh, in my data or my model is really changing. So all of this tied together with the platform of governance is very important. And, and that's why I think ethics, governance. Uh, yeah, there are so many cultural differences also. I mean, what, uh, yeah, is, yeah. what is right for us is not right for another culture. That's true. And, and that's why I think the fact sheet, the transparency is important, right? That nu nutrition label can actually tell me that am I, is this even applicable for the demographics that I care about, right? Let's say I'm trying to build a system for, uh, for India. Let's say it's a crop, like whether you should do a pesticide, you know, pesticide recommendation model. Uh, which farms and which farmers and which demographics with what weather characteristics have actually used this model or what is it trained on? I think very, very important to know, right? So like you said, I think that that's that's our window into fact sheet. I'm sure there's a lot of work to be done, uh, but but we're also we also recognize this as a big problem. And that's why we've been doing a lot of work, both research in the community outside and uh, we have explainability workshops and conferences uh, and thought leadership and, and toolkits that we've released so that people start thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, of course, I mean, uh, most of these topics would require uh, hours and hours of discussion, and I think these are endless uh, debates. So it's uh, I know it's a little unfair to try to, you know, uh, sort of summarize 
all these topics in a single interview. But uh, that's the nature of the beast. Uh, but uh, before uh, I conclude this uh, interview, uh, I, I would love your thoughts on uh, what more uh, should women be doing to, you know, uh, enter the boardrooms, especially. But the, yeah. they are technologists, you are yourself are a PhD in computer science from the University of Maryland. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think we need more PhDs out there. So what, what yeah. should women do? Yeah, so I think uh, I think PhDs is a good starting point. So let's so people let's say there are women who want to get to the you know get to the top of their science careers or their technology careers. Um, the decision of whether to do a PhD or not is is not easy, right? Because sometimes it might look like you spend so many years in a field, and and the ROI question. We absolutely, as a country, uh, as a region, we absolutely need to mo promote more women to do PhDs. And if that means more, you know, having more co-ops, you know, once they finish bachelor's, master's, have them do internships in research institutions with top faculty in the country. We have top institutions, right? If, if each faculty in a renowned field could actually adopt two women who need to, who are on the borderline, right? Who need to decide. Uh, should I do a PhD or not do a one year, uh, you know, kind of co-op internship? I think that would really help. Now, we, we started this program in IBM many, many years back in IBM research when we realized that this is where the drop happens, right? You finish your bachelor's, you have, or maybe your master's, you have a really good job offer, right? And, um, and the decision is, what do I want to do in my career 10 years from now? Or should I take this up because you know I I can I can get convinced of a good life, and and there's no I'm not suggesting that everyone should do a PhD, but I'm saying that for people who are on that boundary on that cusp, I think there should be programs which says that try it out in a research institution, know what it means to work on, you know, a proposal on national missions and grants, and our universities can actually come up and create the special program. That for people who want, are into minds but deciding PhDs, and there we could have definitely a focus on women. Uh, and the decision is harder for women for all so many other things like social norms. They need to get married. They need to move with their husbands. They need to have children. And by the time they finish their PhDs, they're in their thirties. And That's of course, I have not even got to the whole question of whether you know what happens to the whole of India, where the disparity and the gender divide of course, itself is. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think absolutely. the technology divide gets deeper when it goes to uh, women. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Like there are all kind of stereotypes and biases so many, and many things. Yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah, but so this is one thing for PhDs, and because you ask them, you know, ask me. I, but there's also another thing that we could do at grassroots, right? And if I, I also think if we get more women committed to STEM, not uh, in India, you know, the numbers show forty percent of our population is actually taking engineering courses, which I think is a great start. But the commitment to, you know, to make a change that this is a tool which I love, I am passionate about, but I can also make a change in the world, in society, you know, for whoever I work for. I think that commitment can start if you start influencing them early on, right? And uh, to previous journalists, Leslie, I've said, you know, class eight, nine, ten, we, you know, we should try to make an impact. We should try exposing them to this as a career 
what does it offer, right? Uh, you know, what are the best things that you can get out of it? How do you make a difference? But now I'm saying, let's, let's go earlier. Let's do class six. Why not? You know, expose them to analytical thinking, expose them to uh, tools, block coding tools like MIT Scratch and get them started on this. We have the yeah, that's language. an amazing program. Yeah, it's really good. I, I started, you know, I, I do it in the communities here. We started with kids who were who were actually saying, well, you know, I love physics and math. It's like a game. It is, it is. And and they told me that I don't think computer science is interesting. I said, let's try this, right? It's like a game. So you get kids hooked on. So I think if we can do that, then uh, I think that will make a lot of difference. By the way, Leslie, we didn't get time at all to talk about COVID and what's an assistant. Do you want me to just quickly summarize yeah, yeah, sure, because sure, I'm in sure, the middle sure. of this? Yeah. Sure, so, uh, yeah, so we've been doing, I think there's a lot of initiatives that we've, you know, search is one, opening up our high performance computing grid is one. But one thing that's live and active and I'm in the middle of it is really uh, in the second wave, right? Uh, each city has been through their that curves, right? There were shortage of critical resources, oxygen, uh, ambulances, medical supplies, test beds. And IBM is not a small uh, small company in this country, right? We have a huge number of IBMers. Um, so the and and we could see completely volunteer groups starting to form for cities that are helping out their friends, families with links. There was a lot of links. I think information was there, but there was no ver verification validation. So we used Watson Assistant. So we stepped in and I think we put, we, we realized the load that it was, you know, creating on people who were not only going to, trying to deal with the anxiety of having, having to de help a near and dear ones, but also like, what do I, where is the information? Where should I go? I'm, I'm helpless, right? Uh, and, and the infrastructure, the health system at that point was really crumbling. So we created a solution that takes what's an assistant, right? So it's a, it's a conversational AI chatbot, linked it to a, a system of records, right? So you could come into the chatbot and say, uh, enter some Im, uh, important information. We kept it minimal. Uh, just did some quick validation, like, you know, can enter your zip code. We know, okay, you're here in this part of India, you need an oxygen cylinder. Uh, create, put it in the system of record, create an alert for the volunteers who's helping, right? And at that point, the volunteer really self-regulates within a collaborative channel. Uh, they all try to help them out. Uh, when the ticket, you know, when the person is assisted, we close the ticket and we we then you know have the person routed to the right help what it also did is, is, is solve the problem of supply demand right we could very clearly see on the india map 400000 ibms where were the requests coming from right like a couple of weeks back it was mumbai which was a hot spot lot of requests it was then it was ncr right so when we deployed logistics like you know transport or oxygen covid care centers we had this map of where are the demands coming from and routed there so this was uh, this was what we've been up to and i'm in the middle of this as we speak you know we're rolling it out but uh, but obviously it's grown from more critical care resources to 
other things like, you know, what insurance benefits can I expect at COVID and other things, but, but that's what we're in the middle of. So it's like using our own tech um, for, for helping IBMers. Well, that sounds like it's like a very great initiative. I mean, I know you have been doing a lot of work, but uh, Gargi, uh, thank you very much for your time. I know these are really, uh, I mean, uh, thanks for taking your time from your hectic schedule. And, uh, you know, sort of demystifying certain things for our viewers, because I think there's a lot of confusion around AI automation. I mean, still, despite the fact that so many things have been happening and there has been yeah. so much momentum around it, so thank you once again for your time and uh, wish you all the best in your um, journey. Thank Hope you, Leslie. You yeah. soon again. Keep well and take care.